Well, because we do exist to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time, every series that we present here at New Life gives you the opportunity to experience Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Also, to grow in your walk or your life with Jesus, and ultimately to live out your faith in Jesus out in the world. So today we launch a series, as you saw, and that's the last humorous part about this series, unfortunately. It's not going to be too funny from here on out. But we're going to talk about elephants. Elephants are the things that we like to avoid because they can be controversial. And churches tend to let elephants accumulate because we don't want to upset anybody or we don't want the community to think poorly of us or we don't want to have any conflict in the church. But here's the truth. We need to think about this. Jesus, or I should say the religious leaders in Jesus' day, crucified him because he dealt with the elephants that they would not address. Jesus called the religious leaders in his day hypocrites. They talked about things like tithing, things like the Sabbath, you know, resting on that one day a week that God set aside. They talked about putting God first. They talked about the sanctity of marriage. But Jesus called them on all of that because he said, you don't give a tithe. You don't even take care of your aging parents. You don't want me to heal on the Sabbath. You don't want anybody but people like you to know God. And when marriage gets difficult, you want to get out of it. So Jesus faced hundreds of elephants in his three-year ministry on the earth. And as a result of that, uh, he was ultimately crucified. The bottom line for us who follow Jesus is this. Jesus' love requires far more of us than we could ever give without the Holy Spirit leading and empowering us. As we're going to talk about these elephants over the six weeks that come, uh, we're going to, in each every, every one of them, we're going to say, well, how can we do something about this? And the answer is, we by ourselves cannot, but only in the power of the Holy Spirit will be, we be able to. So here are the six elephants that we're going to be addressing starting today. Abortion, racism, suicide, sexuality, widows and orphans, and poverty. You're probably not going to agree with everything we say, and we don't pretend that we have absolute clarity on what Jesus said and meant 100% of the time. But we have sought to gain the best understanding we can of Jesus' words and of the words of the biblical writers who spoke on these particular topics. And I can tell you this, that we're going to, we're going to present them in truth and love. And I promise you that we have already made a prayerful, humble, and serious examination of these often ignored elephants. So as we turn to them today, uh, I, I want to remind us all of something. It's a very scary verse, actually. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. We who pastor here uh, know that what it says about church leaders, but you need to know what it says about you. Here's what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So do you see your obligation and ours in that verse? Your obligation is to obey your spiritual leaders, but our obligation is to get it right. Our obligation is to lead you in such a way that when we sit down, and we will, all of us who are leading here at New Life, will sit down face-to-face -face with Jesus one day and have an account for all of the things that we said and did as your pastors. And in that conversation, if I have not spoken the truth in love, Jesus is going to hold me accountable for that. But in those times when I have spoken the truth in love and then you have failed to live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's going to be a conversation that you have with Jesus because that's your responsibility as well. Now, 
The thing is, it doesn't matter what we wish were true. It doesn't matter what we hope were true or feel is true. What matters is what God says is true and discerning his will in these six elephants that we're going to talk about and then living them out in the body of Jesus Christ and out in our world in the weeks ahead. So we face a big challenge as we do this because we're Americans. You know, as Americans, we get to vote on what we want and what we don't want. We get to sort of vote on what's true and what isn't true, or at least what we want to think is true or isn't true. And so uh, we don't want to offend people out in the community, and, and God forbid that we should bring our faith into the public arena these days. And the thing is, if we've read the Bible from cover to cover, what we know is that the majority was often wrong in both the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus put it this way. He said, will the Son of Man, that's Jesus himself, find faith when he comes back? In other words, when he returns to earth, is there even going to be anybody faithful left, anybody who's still following his will, anybody who's doing what he commands in the power of the Holy Spirit? So... I'm going to be talking about abortion today. People have argued about it, debated about it, fought about it for decades here in this country, for hundreds of years, probably thousands of years. And uh, the thing is, before we get to what uh, scripture we're going to look at today, which talks about the overarching call that we have in our lives as followers of Jesus, I want to tell you about the first time I ever preached about abortion. It was 1986. Anybody in here... Wasn't alive in 1986? Anybody? Oh, yeah, I see some. Oh, boy, yeah, there's quite a few of you weren't even around in 1986. I had recently been elected the president of Presbyterians Pro-Life in Cincinnati Presbytery. I was 29 years old. Nancy and I had been trying to have a child for a number of years, but had been unable to. And so some people thought that I was biased because of that. Undoubtedly, I was. But... Uh, it had sort of leaked that I was going to be talking about abortion that coming week. We didn't do like we do here at New Life and let you know ahead of time what we're going to talk about. So this lady came in. She was in her early 40s. She sat down in my study, and she said to me, I heard you're preaching about abortion this weekend. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, um, before you do that, I, I want you to understand something. When Joe and I were in college, we were dating, and um, I got pregnant. And we weren't sure what to do. We weren't sure that we were even going to get married. And we talked about it. We knew that having a baby would cause a great strain in both of our lives and, and for our families. And so I got an abortion. And I wanted you to understand that because I wasn't too involved in church back then. I didn't, I didn't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior in those days. And, uh, and after the abortion, I just sort of drifted away from church. I didn't go at all. And then you came as the assistant pastor here, and Joe was coming home every time you preach, and he'd say, you've got to come and hear this young pastor. He's so passionate, so serious about Jesus, and she, he just kept going on and on and on every time you preach. So finally, I decided one week I would come, and immediately I noticed there was something different about you. I didn't know what it was at first, but now I do. You showed me the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus. And now I've come to know you personally, and I've experienced the love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus one-to-one -one in, 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 in our, our relationship. And, you know, you didn't know that I had an abortion, but you knew I was a sinner, and you accepted me anyway. And I just want to say that when you preach about abortion this Sunday, please, please show the same love, grace, and forgiveness that you've always shown to me to the people that are listening, because a lot of people, a lot of women have had abortions, and a lot of people have been impacted by it, and, and, and please don't be judgmental. Please, 
um, continue to share the love of Jesus. When she left my study that day, I thought about what she said for a really long time. I thought I had, I had thought I knew her well, you know, and I mean, she seemed to cry a lot, but I thought she was just emotional. And uh, she also was growing faster in her faith than anybody I had ever seen. And what I didn't think when she left my office that day was, I can't believe she did that. What I thought was, I really wish that when she was a college co-ed, somebody had come alongside of her who had shown her the love and grace of Jesus and helped her to make a different decision back then. That's what I really thought about. She was right about a lot of women having abortions, though. Studies say that one out of every three women in North America uh, will have an abortion sometime in her lifetime. Now, while she was now on the receiving end of God's love, grace, and forgiveness, before she left that day, she had told me one more consequence that came from her abortion. They eventually got married, and they had been married for a long time at this point, but she had never been able to get pregnant again. That was one of the consequences from her abortion. It's so easy for us to quote statistics about all the babies who have been aborted. You know, 40 million babies are aborted every year in, in the world. And then to bring that closer to home, back in 2016, 146 babies were aborted in Butler. Now, it's easy for me to sort of see through the arguments that try to justify why an unborn baby isn't a baby. Uh, but what I've never been able to forget is that conversation I had with that woman that day and her urging that she wanted her pastor, who had never been judgmental towards her, not to be judgmental when he was talking about this topic with so many people. Now, 30 years later, that pastor is no longer young, but he is still seeking to speak the truth in love to share Jesus' love with people along with his truth so that we can realize something. Jesus is the only solution to all the elephants, to all the rationalizations, all of the sins, the opinions, the excuses, the deceptions, and pains in our lives. Jesus told us that the devil came for three reasons. He came to kill us, to steal from us, and to destroy us. And Jesus said, I came for the opposite reason. I came to give you life in all of its abundance. And as we look around, we see how effective the devil is at his work. He continues to use deception and outright lies to turn us against each other. And you can see how divided our nation is about this and pretty much all of the um, matters that we're going to be talking about over these six weeks. And the thing is, he's convinced, the devil has convinced far too many of Jesus' followers that we don't have any right to, to say anything about anybody because we're dealing with our own sins. And so what right do we have to say about anything else or anybody else's sins? And, and as the devil always does, he gives us a half-truth. He's half-right. We don't have a right uh, to not deal with our own sins. We're all dealing with sin. We're all, whether we're you know, dealing with the consequences or not dealing with the consequences, we have all sinned by what we've done and by what we've left undone in our lives. Each of us stands be, condemned before God. That's why Jesus came. That's what we talked about during the Lord's Supper. We were condemned. God condemned us to hell. Because we're all sinners. None of us is righteous. Not even one. And, and so Jesus came to die on the cross, to rise from the dead, to go to heaven and send his Holy Spirit into his church so that we who have been redeemed can live new lives. Amen. And the devil knows that. So what does he do? He does the same thing he did to Adam and Eve. He whispers in our ear. In Adam and Eve's ear, he said, did God really say you can't eat from any fruit in the tree of the garden? What does he whisper in our ear? Do you really think you're forgiven? 
Did God really say that you have a right to talk about abortion and racism and all these, these elephants? Can you really do that in church? I mean, can you do that with your friends at school and work when they know you're a follower of Jesus? What right do you have to be so judgmental when you've been forgiven so much by God, if you really have been forgiven so much by God? And the questions he asks us sound so right because we know that we don't have the right to judge. Or they sound so wrong because some of us just feel like we're so right that if people would just listen to us, we'd just stuff it down their throat, then they'll get it right finally. But here's the truth. When Jesus said, judge not so you won't be judged, he added this statement, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So when that woman so long ago reminded me that I had the need to speak with the same measure of Jesus' love, grace, and forgiveness that I had always shown to everybody else when I spoke about abortion, it struck a nerve deep within inside of me because I can't change the truth. But what I can always do is I can always speak it in love. I can't deny that I'm a sinner. But here's the thing. If only perfect people can sit before you and preach, we have a problem. Because nobody can preach, not in a church in America or in the world, is there a person who has never sinned. And if I can't come alongside of somebody who's in sin to help correct them because I'm also a sinner, then nobody's ever going to get correction and guidance. If I can't come alongside of a pregnant woman who, for whatever reason, is pregnant but doesn't know for sure if she wants to have the baby, if I can't speak into her life because I'm not perfect then there's no hope that we can make a difference and a change in the world. Jesus is the only one who can judge. That's what the devil will tell us, and he's right. Jesus is the only one who can judge. But what the devil won't tell us is that Jesus has given us the authority to come alongside of each other, to speak the truth in love, to correct in love, to challenge when we're going astray in love. Because the devil doesn't want us to experience anything of the blessing of God that comes when we hold the truth and love together in our lives. The devil has done such a great job lying to us that those lies are woven into the very fabric of our culture. If we don't go along with the whatever attitude of our culture, then we're haters. If, if anybody thinks that somebody doesn't have a right to choose anything, whatever it is these days, then we're haters. If I speak to a woman and say, you should not have an abortion, you shouldn't kill your baby, I'm a hater because I say such a thing. But here's the thing. Jesus died for our sin, and when we were born again, he said to us, how can you? He didn't say this. Paul the Apostle said this. How can we who have died to sin continue to live in it? In fact, Paul said, when we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, we die to sin. The sin that is so, it's just part of us. It dies. When Jesus died on the cross, that sin died. It doesn't mean we can't sin anymore. It means we don't have to sin. It means that the Holy Spirit can give us hope and power to overcome the sin and so that we can live in a new way, a different way that we've ever lived before. And for the first time in earnest, we can have victory in these lies, in these lies that, that the devil has told to us. And so what I want to talk about today, and the take-home point will tell you what it is, and for those of you who are new or watching online for the first time, the take-home point is the point of this message. It's the one thing that we're going to take away from it that we'll hopefully pray about and live out in the week ahead. Here it is. God's love requires that we value every human life. Now, there's no hidden agenda there, but I want to, I want to go through the key words in that statement. 
The key words are God's. Love requires. We value every human life. Every word's key. I, I can't take a word out of that statement because God, God's love requires that we value every human life. And God's love isn't emotion. It isn't feeling. It isn't mushy. God's love is a willingness to sacrifice on behalf of the other, to do what's better for the other person. And the greatest example of God's love ever shown is Jesus Christ when he gave his life on the cross. That wasn't good for him. It didn't benefit him. He didn't need to do it. There's no reason why he would do that except for the love that he had for us so that we could have a new life. And as we think about that, as we look about that, what we find is the night before Jesus died, the night that he had the Last Supper, the night that he went out in the garden, sometime during that evening, he said this to his disciples, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you, can come, you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So when Jesus said, dear children, what was he saying? He was saying, I love you so much. You're like little children to me. And then he said, I'm not going to be around very much longer. I already told the Jews, I'm telling you, I'm going to be gone. So what are the implications of that? The implications are you need to love one another. The implications are you need to start to sacrifice for each other. You need to stop listening to the devil's lies about putting yourself first and putting somebody else first. That's what happens. And just in case they didn't get it, he said, let me give you an example. And the example is just as I have loved you, so you are to love each other. And the thing is, at the end of it, what Jesus said was that when those on the inside love those on the inside, those on the outside are going to know that we're actually insiders. Let me put it this way. Jesus said, love the insiders so the outsiders will know you're insiders. No, wait a minute. Why didn't Jesus say love everybody out in the world? He didn't say that. He said love each other. Why? Because in a church, <laughs> that's an uncommon thing, that people actually love each other. That people would come together and they would show love and compassion. Not the kind of emotional, gooey feeling. That's okay, but that's not what love, love is. That they would show, that we would show for each other this self-sacrificing desire to do what's best for you, what's best for me, for each other. And we do that, and when we do it enough, what's happening is the people on the outside are going to say, excuse me, can, can I come in? Because I want some of that in my life. That's what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to love each other so much that people on the outside say, i, I got to have that. I I I'm missing that in my life. And that's what the true church does. That's what Jesus said. So Jesus basically wants us to understand that because he was going to die for us, that he was going to rise for us, he was going to go back to heaven for us, we need to always remember this new commandment. Love each other as I have first loved you. So let's turn now to the unborn baby in the mother's womb. We've been told for decades, it isn't a baby. It's just some tissue. It's just a fetus. It's not a baby. And that's really the crux of the debate that's been going on for decades. And so there's a guy named Gregory Kukul who I think sums up the debate quite effectively. Here's what he says. If the unborn is not a human person, no justification for abortion is necessary. If the unborn is a human person then no justification for abortion is adequate. If it's not a baby inside of the mother, then it, getting rid of it is just like getting a tooth pulled. 
There's no ramifications of that. But if it is a baby, if that unborn baby is a human baby, a human being, then killing her is murder. So the debate has centered around four basic questions, basically over the last decades. It's come down to these four questions. And you can remember these four basic questions by the acronym SLED because it's the size of the baby or the fetus, it's the level of development, it's the environment or the location, and it's the degree of dependency. So let's look at each of those. So the first thing that people say who say the baby inside isn't a baby is look at the size. You know, I mean, it starts out as two cells, and they become one, and then they split, become two before eight. And so there's a certain point where they're not really a human, but they become a human sometime. And, and basically now what we're saying is, depends on what state we live in, that the baby becomes a human sometime, maybe after birth. But it's all based on the size. So here's the thing. What if we were to decide as a nation, we could vote on this, that everybody under five feet doesn't deserve to live? There was a lady last night who's 4'11", and she didn't like that new law. You see, and you say, well, Chris, that's sort of crazy. It is sort of crazy, and that's the point. Size shouldn't determine whether somebody's a human being. It doesn't. So what about the level of development? You know, what they say is because the, the fetus is inside of the mother's womb, it isn't developed enough, so basically it isn't really a person yet. But if we use the level of development argument, what if somebody comes along and says, well, unless you have a certain level of IQ or a certain level of athletic ability, what if if you can't run a mile in less than eight minutes, you don't deserve to live? And again, it's crazy, but that's the argument. The next part of the argument is environment, location. Because this being is inside the mother's womb, it doesn't, it's not a person. Well, again, if location can be the determiner of whether somebody's a human being, what if we decide that anybody from Gypsy, Pennsylvania doesn't deserve to live? The reason I use that is because I grew up in Gypsy, Pennsylvania. You might never have heard that before. See, location shouldn't determine whether somebody's alive or not, whether somebody's a person or not. And then the last one, and this is the biggest debate right now, is the degree of dependency. You see, the degree of dependency says that if you took that thing outside of the mother and put it, you know, out there, it would die. It couldn't live on its own. It's so dependent. That's why it's not a human being. But here's the thing. If a baby is two days old and you put it outside and don't take care of it, it dies. Two weeks old, two months old, two years old. And I don't know if you're aware, but that's the new argument now. The new argument now is, well, you know, we shouldn't just be able to abort a baby, well, let's call it a fetus, until it's born, but maybe two weeks, two months, up to two years is the latest philosophical argument because it isn't really a person yet because it's de dependent on the caregiver until a certain point. Now, some people hear that and go, how could anybody think that? And, and, the, and the question becomes, how could we think that any of these reasons, size or environment or, or degree of level of development or degree of dependency, can determine whether somebody's a human being or not? And, and the thing is, as we look at this, we can be angry with each other, we can debate with each other, we can argue with each other, we can talk about these situations, has it really been done for millennia. But the woman who sat in my study that day so long ago, begging me not to be judgmental, begging me to continue to show the love and grace of, uh, of Jesus as I spoke about abortion was right. I'm not the judge of that. You're not the judge of, of any of what we're talking about. The, the decision was already made a long, long time ago. 
and we don't get to argue and debate about it. And by God's grace, I'm here today. And, and somebody on the way out today told me, you know, I thank God every day that my mother chose to have me. And this other guy came out. Unfortunately, I don't know his name. I could share it with you. But he's in his 40s. And he said there was a teenage girl, 17 years old. And she got pregnant. And she had the baby. And she let her sister raise it. And here I am. And it brought a personal nature to this discussion. So today, what, it, what all of this means for me and for you is that I have to urge us to do everything we can to value every person through God's love this week. That's our tech, our today's next step, is that I will value every person through God's love this week. That means not defending my position or your position, but it means finding that struggling co-ed and coming alongside of her in love, grace, but also in truth and helping her through that difficult choice to make a choice for the baby. That's the one thing I've, I've always wondered in this whole pro-choice thing is what about the choice of the baby? Who's choosing for him or for her? And, and, and we can continue to debate all we want, but what will happen is we're going to still have babies who are dead. We're going to still have women who have abortions. We're still going to have men who don't take responsibility or who suffer in silence because they don't have anything to do with the decision because they don't have a legal input into it. All of those things, all of those things are still going to happen. Something needs to change. What we can do, what we can do is we can value every person through God's love this week. Decades ago, a young girl came to me. She was about 14. And she said to me, Chris, I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. My parents are going to kill me when they find out. And she was from a good family, and she, you know, she was a good girl. And she was pregnant, and, you know, and we all know how that happened. But she didn't know what she was going to do. But she didn't tell anybody. She didn't make a decision. She came to her pastor, and she said, could you help me make the right choice? And so I took her to her mom and dad, and we sat down. And the mom and dad were upset, shaken little angry. But at that time, what they did was so amazing, so incredible. They showed her love and they helped their child have a child. And that child's 21 years old. And I've got to see her pretty much live. She lives in a community. And if you know the story, you have to know that that's a better story than the first one. They're both true. But the second result is so much better than the first result. And here's the thing we have to understand. If we're going to say we can value every person through God's love this week, then what we have to do is we have to back that up with action because people are so tired of people condemning other people but aren't willing to do anything about it. And I was thinking about those 146 babies who were aborted in Butler in 2016. This church is big enough that we could have handled that. If we would have known, if we would have had the opportunity, we could have come alongside of those young women or old women because not always teenagers that are having abortions. And we could have said, we love you, and we know that we can help you, and we will because your baby matters, and you matter, and we want what's best for both of you. We can do that as a church. And not only can we, but if we don't, we don't really have a right to call ourselves a church. If we aren't willing to say, this is wrong, so here's how we can help you do what's right, then we don't have a right to open our mouth and say that anything is wrong. But once we make the commitment to do what it says there, value every person through God's love this week, 
then we have the right to speak. And there's one thing I've, I've pretty much tried to be as loving and you know, non-judgmental as I can be, but there's one thing that I, one group of people, because I'm in that group of people, well-educated people, and, and what they say makes no sense to me, that we have absolute choice over what we do in life. And there was a guy named David Platt, and he wrote this statement in his book, Counterculture, and I think it sort of addresses that attitude. It says this, Someone should have the right to choose Mexican or Chinese food for dinner, or where to live, or what kind of car to drive. Of course, we're pro-choice on those and thousands of other things. But we aren't pro-choice about rape. We aren't pro-choice about burglary. We aren't pro-choice about kidnapping children. So why should we be pro-choice about killing them? It's a powerful statement about what we should be pro-choice about and what we should not. And here's the thing. Jesus' love is big enough for all of us, whether we've had an abortion or whether we encouraged someone to have or whether we didn't stop one from having. That's all history. We can't do anything about any of that. God's love, grace, and forgiveness is available in all of those situations. And the truth right now is we have the opportunity to stand with people not just be against them. We have the opportunity to stand with women and their significant others if they're involved and help them to show love to that unborn person because he or she is a person. And as we do that, we get the right to call ourselves the Church of Jesus Christ. As we do that, we get to show the world that the insiders care about the outsiders and that we want everybody Everybody to be an insider because that's where the life and the love and the truth and the joy come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you chose life for all of us in the room here today watching online. We thank you, God, that you have chosen to give us new life, rebirth through your son, Jesus. God, I pray for every person in this room who has struggled with this matter and who is feeling guilty or shamed, I pray, God, your forgiveness upon their lives. God, I pray for anyone listening or anyone here who's pregnant right now and who doesn't know what to do, God, that they would speak up and that they would receive the love of this church, this family, and that we would come alongside and not worry about what happened but be concerned about loving every person and valuing every person as you have done to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.